Well, if you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, I invite you to turn with me to Ruth chapter 3. As I told the kids, we're in Ruth chapter 3. We're looking at the whole chapter, Ruth chapter 3. You'll also find the text printed in your bulletin if you don't have a Bible with you. Ruth 3, verses 1 through 18. Today we're continuing our series through the book of Ruth, entitled God's Redeeming Love. And we've reached the halfway point. Well, you know, chapter 2 out of 4, so to after today, we'll be three-fourths of the way through the book. And just by way of recap, Ruth opens with a famine in Bethlehem. Remember, Bethlehem means house of bread, so there's no bread in the house of bread. You find a man named Elimelech and his family. They leave to go to Moab to try to provide, uh, and that was not a good decision. They left the promised land to go to foreign pagan land of Moab. There, Elimelech dies. His two sons die, and so Naomi, his wife, is left with his uh, two, with her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah. Orpah stays back, and Ruth goes with Naomi back to Bethlehem. And so then when they get back, and they have need, and Ruth steps out in faith, she goes to uh, reap uh, or glean barley, and she, by God's grace, ends up in the field of Boaz. And she gets enough barley for several weeks, but that's not going to last a lifetime. There's a bigger need in her life. How is God going to provide? Well, that's where we pick up the story today, Ruth 3. Before I read this text, let me pray and ask for the Lord's blessing and his help. Gracious God, you've told us that your word is living and active, that it's sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing the division of joint and marrow, of soul and spirit, and discerning the intentions of the heart. Lord, would you open our eyes to see wondrous things in this, your holy word. Would we taste and see that you are good. Speak, Lord, for your servants listen. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Here now the reading of God's holy word, Ruth 3, starting in verse 1. Then Naomi, her, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. 
And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. When she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God remains forever. The story is told of a little boy who built a boat and took it down to the river to watch it float and play in the stream. He placed it in the water, he let up a string, and was enjoying himself until the boat caught a current and took off down the creek. The boy tried to pull it back in, but to his dismay, the string broke. And there his boat goes racing down the creek. It runs along the bank, chasing after it, but eventually it goes out of sight. He spends all afternoon searching for his boat, but can't find it. Finally, when it's too dark to look anymore, the boy sadly goes home. Well, a couple of days later, he's coming home from school, and he looks in the shop and and the window, and he says, man, that kind of looks like my boat. And he gets closer and looks at it. Sure enough, that's the same boat that he had built. And he runs in and tells the store owner, sir, this is my boat. I made it. He says, sorry, son, but somebody brought it in today. If you want it, you're going to have to buy it for one dollar. The little boy runs home, gathers up all his money, has exactly one dollar. When he reaches the store, he rushes to the counter, he puts the money down. He said, here's the money for my boat. As he leaves the store, he hugs the boat. He said, now you're twice mine. First I made you, and now I bought you. Friends, that's just a small illustration of the principle of redemption, of buying something back. I think we all love a redemption story. It tugs at the strings of our heart. Now, Ruth chapter 3 is all about redemption and a redeemer. You know, there's a lot going on here. Naomi concocts this wild plan. We're like, what, really? And at first glance, the story kind of seems highly sexualized. It's like, what are we to make of all of this? We don't want to get lost in the weeds and miss the bigger picture. The bigger picture is that it's all about a beautiful redeemer. In order to help us understand this, I want to answer four simple questions as we walk through this text. What, why, who, and how? What, why, who, and how? So first, what? What is a redeemer? Well, back in chapter 2, we find out something very important about Boaz. The end of verse 20 of chapter 2, Naomi says to Ruth, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. Well, that's cool. He's wealthy, he's kind, and he's a redeemer. But what exactly does that mean? Well, in the Old Testament, God gave multiple laws about a redeemer, sometimes called a kinsman redeemer. We have to remember that in the Old Testament, two things were very, very important, land and family. God brought the people of Israel out of slavery in Egypt and to the promised land of Canaan. 
That land was divided amongst the 12 tribes, and each of the clans and families in a tribe was allotted a portion of land. And God cared so much about that land that he said, you shall not sell that land out of your family. It needs to stay in the family. And family was important. And the nation of Israel as a whole was one family, but then the individual families that made up that greater family were also important. Think of Genesis 12, 3, where God tells Abram when he first calls him, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So land and family are important. To help protect both, God gave laws about a redeemer. The redeemer was a close family member who could help provide for family members in need. There are four primary ways that someone could function as a redeemer. First, could redeem a land. Imagine a family member is not doing well financially, and so they, contrary to what God would say, they have to sell their land. So that land goes to somebody else. The redeemer, family member, would buy that land back. Second, a redeemer was to redeem a person. Maybe times were so bad that the individual had no choice but to sell themselves as an indentured servant. A family member was to buy back that other family member, out of slavery. Third, if a family member was murdered, the Redeemer could seek justice on behalf of the dead family member. And finally, the Redeemer could marry a family member's widow who had no son to keep the family line going, keep the land in the family. Well, Boaz is a close relative to Elimelech, and so he could be their Redeemer. It's been three months since the end of chapter 2, and Boaz has taken no steps towards Ruth. And so Naomi decides to take things into her own hands. She comes up with this wild plan to set up her daughter-in-law with Boaz the Redeemer. She tells Ruth to wash, put on perfume, and put on her cloak and go down to the threshing floor, uncover his feet, and lay down and wait and see what happens. The threshing floor was typically a big rock out near the field, but kind of up higher on a hill, so that when you tossed the wheat or barley up, that would separate the wheat from the chaff. And they would stay out there during this process of separating wheat and the chaff. Well, in our overly sexualized culture, we're tempted to read between the lines and wonder if Naomi is sending Ruth to somehow maybe seduce Boaz. But friends, we need to set that aside. That's not what's going on here. Rather, she's telling her to take off her garments of mourning. Remember, she's lost her husband. So Naomi's saying, all right, Ruth, the period of mourning for your husband is over. Now dress and go and basically say to Boaz, I'm ready and available for marriage. You know, there's no Facebook at this time, so Ruth can't change her relationship status to single. There's no Tinder or Christian Mingled, the online dating websites. No, so there's this wild plan to go down to the threshing floor and pull back the blanket and lay down. And I think Naomi seems to have her daughter-in-law's best in mind, but her plan is dangerous. Ruth could have been attacked on the way by a person or by wild animals. Boaz could have been offended and shamed her, or he could have taken advantage of her sexually. Anything bad could have happened. Nevertheless, this is the plan, and Ruth goes along with it. She goes to the threshing floor, she uncovers Boaz's feet, and lays down at his feet, and 
Contrary to what some people say, there's nothing sexual about that. And at midnight, Boaz feels the breeze on his uncovered legs, and he wakes up. And to his astonishment, there's a woman laying at his feet. Imagine your confusion. Just woken up, and somebody that you're not expecting is laying there. So he asks, who are you? Fair enough, right? To which Ruth replies in verse 9, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. It's a bold action. It's remarkable. It's kind of unheard of in this day and age. Redeemer is one who provides for family in need, and that's what Ruth is saying. Look, I need you to provide for me. Friends, all throughout the Bible, God is called a redeemer. In fact, the idea of redemption is used more of God than it is of humans acting as redeemers. In Exodus 6, 6 through 7, God tells Moses, Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. The Lord is the redeemer of his people. Redeemer is one who buys back, who enters in to provide for someone in need. And so that answers the first question, what? But now secondly, why? Why was a Redeemer necessary? Well, when you think about a Redeemer in the Old Testament times, the, the need, the answer to the why question is pretty obvious. There's a specific need. Family member is in trouble. They're so financially hurt that they sold their land or themselves and they need someone to buy back. Or the family member's been murdered and they need an avenger of blood. Or the family line's going to be cut off and they need someone to marry a widow. In each of these four situations, there's a pretty clear need. And the Redeemer is there to help provide in this time of need. In our story here in Ruth, Ruth is in need of redemption, and so is Naomi for that matter. Boaz provided barley for several weeks, but that wasn't a long-term solution. What Ruth needed in this culture was a husband. Now, a wrong application of this would say, well, that's what all women need is a husband. That's not what this is saying. But in this particular time period, that was one of her greatest needs. In Exodus 6, the passage I mentioned a couple minutes ago, the need was also pretty clear. People of Israel was, were slaves in Egypt. They were in bondage to the cruel Egyptian taskmasters. They needed God to step in and do something. And it's tempting for you and I to read the story of Ruth or Exodus for that matter and think, man, what a great story. It just warms my heart. I love this idea of redemption. But then we fail to see the connection to us today in 21st century America. But like Ruth, or any person needing a redeemer in Israel, you and I need a redeemer as well. Why? What's our problem? Our problem is sin. You and I were born with a sin nature, and we confirm that sin nature every day when we sin in thought, word, and deed. We are far worse than we could ever imagine. Romans 3.23 reminds us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means you. 
That means me. A couple chapters later in Romans 6, verse 18, Paul says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? Apart from God, we are all slaves to sin. We're stuck. That's our spiritual status. Therefore, we need redemption. We need God to buy us back. Back in the early 1900s, Governor Pat Neff of Texas spoke to a group of inmates in a prison. And he finished his speech by saying that he would remain and he'd listen to any of the inmates who wanted to talk to him. And he further announced that what he heard would not would be held in confidence, meaning nothing a man would tell him would ever be used against him. Well, when the meeting was over, a large group of the men stayed to talk to the governor. And one by one, they each told the governor that he was there from a frame-up, an injustice, a judicial blunder, and each one asked to be freed. Finally, one man came up and said, Mr. Governor, I just want to say that I am guilty. I did what they sent me here for. But I believe I have paid for it. If I were granted the right to go out, I would do everything I could to be a good citizen and prove myself worthy of your mercy. That was the only man that the governor pardoned. Like this man, you and I need to admit that we need mercy. We can't redeem ourselves. But unlike this man, we can't earn it. He felt that he had done enough. But we could never, ever do enough. We need God to redeem us, to buy us back. You see, your greatest need and my greatest need is for God to redeem us because sin is our greatest problem. Education and politics and food shortages are all important things, but they fail in comparison to the biggest need, which is God to redeem us because of our sin. Don't try and hide your sin. Don't try to act like it's not as bad as it really is. No, we've all committed cosmic treason against the king of the universe. We are guilty. We're needy. We need to be redeemed. So we've answered the what and the why, or and the why, and now third, the who. Who is the redeemer? Well, here in Ruth three, it's pretty obvious. It's Boaz. He's a family member of Elimelech. Remember that in chapter 2, Boaz is described as a worthy man. He was intentionally at the right place at the right time to care for this woman in need. And as we've seen throughout this book, the sovereign hand of the Lord is responsible for all of this. He is at work in all the details, working all things according to the counsel of his own will. And so often the story of Ruth is presented as a love story. Oh, how sweet. Look, this unlikely couple gets together and everything's happily ever after. That's great. And as a result, you might hear advice on dating or marriage as application. Now, there are certain things we can apply to dating or marriage from this. Some of that is things not to do, like not doing, like what Naomi told Ruth to do. But being like Boaz or Ruth isn't necessarily bad, but we want to be good students of the Bible. And to do that, we have to work hard to understand how passages apply to us today. 
It'd be easy just to say, well, be like Ruth, be like Boaz, follow their example, the end. But is that the main point? I don't think it is. You see, Boaz really serves as a figure pointing us forward. The fact that he's a kinsman redeemer for Ruth and Naomi teaches us that we all have a need for a redeemer. Who is our redeemer? It's none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Boaz points forward to Jesus. Jesus is our redeemer. Speaking of him, Paul says in Ephesians 1, 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. Jesus is the greater redeemer. He is the one God the Father provided for our biggest need. Do you know him? Not just do you know about him, but do you really know him in a personal way? Have you trusted him? Have you surrendered to him? Has he redeemed you? Apart from him, you're still lost in your sins. But with him, you have infinite love and eternal security. We've tackled the what, the why, the who of the Redeemer, and that brings us to our final question, how? How does the Redeemer provide for those in need? Well, look with me at verses 10 and 11 of our passage. Boaz says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Boaz easily could have rebuked Ruth. Woman, this is not good. You should not be here. Go home. I want nothing to do with you. But he doesn't. He speaks tenderly to her. And he says he'll do what she asks. In other words, he'll redeem her. I want to pause here for just a moment and point out something about Ruth. Boaz says that she is a, a worthy woman. This means that she's godly. We saw this in chapter 2, how she conducted herself. You know the only other place where the term worthy woman is found in the Bible? It's Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31.10 says, A worthy woman who can find? She is far more precious than jewels. Then in verse 30, describing a worthy woman, it says, Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. In the Hebrew Bible, the books are in a different order. In our English Bible, it goes Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. And that makes sense. Judges is a period that Ruth happens. But in the Hebrew Bible, we find the book of Proverbs, and then we find the book of Ruth. The order of the books of the Bible aren't inspired, so it's not like there's some problem. But do you notice what's being said by that? Proverbs ends, a worthy woman who can find. Ruth begins, here's one, and it's not who you'd expect. It's a Moabite, not an Israelite. But here's a worthy woman. And so, yes, we can follow her example. That's good for all of us. But more importantly, it points us forward. To Jesus. So back to redemption. Boaz tells Ruth he will redeem her, but there's one who's closer, and so he's got to go through the process. Maybe he will redeem instead of Boaz. We're kind of left on a limb here. We're left in suspense. Is this man going to redeem Ruth? Naomi? Is Naomi's plan going to backfire? We'll find the answer in a couple weeks in chapter 4. But for our purposes, redeeming Ruth and Naomi meant marrying Ruth. 
If Boaz does that, he would get the property belonging to Elimelech. And then if there's a son, that property would go to him. He'd also take responsibility for Naomi to provide for her the rest of her life. This was a big financial undertaking. And it's important to note that Boaz was not required by law to do this. But he's following the spirit of the law. Why? Well, for one, Ruth is a worthy woman. But secondly, he's doing it out of the goodness of his heart. Well, think about Jesus for a minute. How did he redeem us? Well, Ephesians 1, 7 that I read a minute ago says that he redeemed us through his blood. The Lord Jesus redeemed all believers through his sacrificial death on the cross. Isaiah 53, 5 puts it beautifully, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Jesus paid the price to win us back. He didn't pay that to the devil. No, he paid it to himself because the debt was owed to him. And that only makes sense because he's God. Because he bought us back, we have an infinite worth. Imagine for a minute that you go to an art auction. I don't know that much about art, but I know that it can vary in price. Let's say you're at this art auction and you hear uh, some pieces of art sold and one goes for $25. What are you going to think? Well, maybe it's a Painting of a sunset done by an amateur, nobody knows. But then one is sold for $5 million. What are you going to think? Somebody well-known painted that, right? Maybe it was Rembrandt or Michelangelo or Raphael. Somebody just really well-respected art, so expensive. You can judge the painting by the price that is paid for it. Donald Gray Barnhouse says we can judge ourselves by the price Christ paid for us, the depths into which he had to reach in order to save us. Christ died for our sins, and when I learned the price that was paid for our redemption, I formed conclusions that are justified from other portions of Scripture. How great was my sinfulness, the depths of my nature, and the height of his love. You see, the beauty of the gospel is that Christ paid the ultimate sacrifice to redeem us from slavery to sin. But unlike Ruth, we're not worthy. No, Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. If you've trusted in Christ, then you've been redeemed. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are a son or daughter of the king of the universe. Let that warm your heart. Let it stir your affections. Let it motivate you to serve King Jesus all the days of your life. And if you haven't been redeemed, then cry out to God to redeem you today. Don't put it off. As we close, redemption is a beautiful truth. How God provided for his people in the Old Testament points forward to his provision of Jesus. Boaz's willingness to redeem Ruth and Naomi foreshadows Christ's sacrificial death on Calvary. This past Friday, Presbyterian pastor and author Tim Keller went home to glory after a three-year battle with pancreatic cancer. If you've never read anything by Tim Keller or listened to one of his sermons, I would encourage you to do so. His book, The Prodigal God, really transformed my understanding of the Lord. But one of Keller's insights was his definition of the gospel. The gospel is all about redemption. Keller says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. 
Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. Friends, that's God's redeeming love. That's what we see here in Ruth 3. Allow the beauty of God's redeeming love to impact all of your life and live for Christ's honor and glory. Let us pray.